0: Uh, raise your hand if you. One sec. There we go. Raise your hand if you're reminded every day you wear a mask just how bad your breath smells. yeah, hey, yeah me too. We've got a problem today to address, uh, both in our kind of culture and maybe even here in our church. And it's a good thing that the word of the Lord is really rich and full for us today. I anticipate as we read together, you'll glean a lot more than I can say, which is good. It's a good start. But um, I'd like to pray again. Lord, would you open our ears, as you open my mouth. Than myself included, could each of us receive your word anew and afresh this morning? Amen? So here's our problem. We, as the American church, at least a portion of it, um, and not just the American church, but the global church, uh, like to call ourselves evangelicals. Familiar with this term? Yeah. Once. We're evangelicals, but we're not evangelical. Do you see the problem? It's pretty straightforward. We're evangelicals, but we're not always evangelical. Okay. Does that make sense? No. Makes no sense at all, right? (laughs) Who here studied math? If A equals B, then B, or then and B equals C, then A equals C. Right? So if we're evangelical, how can we not be evangelical? It doesn't make any sense. This is a big problem. You get it? No. We're gonna address the problem by reading the word, and by visiting three places together. So you'll have to put on your imagination hat as we go to three locations. And the first one that we're going to go to is right here in our modern time. And I need your help to describe our current era. Can you help me with this? Sure. Say a word with me. Euangelion. Euangelion. One more time. Let's put it on the, on the screen if we can. Yeah, yeah, this will be helpful. Euangelion. Euangelion. Uh enunciate that question mark. Euangelion? What's that word mean? Evangelical? Good guess. Let's talk about the word evangelical. This is the word that we get the word evangelical from. Eu, right? Eu good. Angelion. Message. Say angelion. angelion. Do you hear it? Angel. What is an angel? A messenger. Angelion. Good. A good message. This is what the gospel is. In Hebrew, the word is beser. It's a verb. It means to share good news. Or besera as the noun. In Greek, the word is In English, the word is. Say it. Gospel. When you hear the word evangelical, what do you think of? Not much. I hear not much. Politics? (laughs) Bible? Bible? Christian? You're cheating. (laughs) It's typical. Yeah, I know. Bible thumper. What else? What do you hear when you think of evangelical? Charismatic, Charismatic, maybe, yeah. Evangelism. Evangelism. There's a lot of things. And I want to tell you right now, actually, before we get too far into this, evangelical is a really good word. Um, It's pretty tempting in culture when a word gets co-opted to mean all sorts of other things like politics, um, which is what the majority of our culture will hear when they hear the word evangelical. Um, It's tempting to think, oh, we'll just scrap that word and make a new one that's better. We don't need to scrap evangelical but we do need to return to evangelical and understand what it is. Now, euangelion is a word we just defined, right? It means good news but it's a particular type of news in almost every circumstance. You tracking with me? This good news is something when David is sitting on his throne, right? Somebody's gonna come barging through the door and they'll say, biser, biser, right? It's political. It's national news. It means the soldiers, the armies, have just won a battle. And when they return, they're reinforming the king that he can still sit on his throne and doesn't have to flee. So it's not always the news David got, if you've read his stories. The, the word euangelion was used very specifically in Rome. Similar way, if soldiers went out, they'd return to Caesar with good news. But every time... Uh, Not only that, every time a new Caesar was inaugurated, the good news was sent out into all of the land and all of the towns and cities um, and small cities and large cities right, and territories would have a messenger going to them saying, This is the good news. Augustus reigns. And because Augustus reigns, he's going to give you this, this, and this, and this. Back pocket. He's also going to tax you. This, 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 and this. The Evangelion is a political, in some ways, message. So when we say evangelical, is it political? A little bit. But the good news of Christ is kind of peculiar because Jesus Christ is peculiar. And we're going to get there. We're going to read it. But I want to just start here. We recognize plainly that one of the traits of the Church of Christ certainly according to Acts, is that it is evangelical. Okay, And more than ever, we need to be, as a church, as a congregation, as a national church, as an international church, as the body of Christ, evangelical. The world needs the good news of salvation and restoration through Jesus, which is why, more than ever, we need to become a people who are, and hear me when I say this, evangelists, not evangelicals what good is it if you're a person who is a good newsier and you don't spread the good news who is going to know in other words we want to be described as evangelical that is living in accordance with the good news and sharing it with all who are here we want to be known as evangelists knowers and sharers of that good news And we want to understand that the word is an adjective, not a noun. And I want to challenge us to not be evangelistic, or or sorry, evangelicals, but to be evangelists. You are first a messenger, not a member of a political party. Right? You are first sons and daughters of the king. Not members of a denomination. Amen? Amen? The reason we are freed from our sin today is because of evangelists who didn't treat it as a title, but who treated it as a responsibility, as a job description, even more so as their joyful and faithful opportunity. That's our world today. Ready for the second place? Yeah. Come with me, if you will, to a beautiful beach. Imagine the most beautiful beach that you possibly can. Where is that for you? For me, it's San Diego. Any other? Cancun? Yeah? Anyone been to the Mediterranean? Yep. On the east side of the Mediterranean, there's a city uh, that once was called the Diamond of the Mediterranean, even by Caesar himself, built by Herod the Great, called Caesarea by the Sea. And if you would, would you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 25. We're going to start in verse 23. If you're at home, I encourage you to have your Bibles out. If you're here, you can pull out your phone. We don't have Bibles for you under the chairs, or you can read along on the screens. So we're in Caesarea. How did we get here? Good question. Well, we were imprisoned. Not as fun as Cancun, right? Not even. No, not quite. This is the most magnificent architecture, everything that you can imagine. Beautiful Mediterranean beaches, and you're sitting in a jail cell. Because you are a man named Paul who was preaching the gospel. And the Jews, who you are one of, didn't like it. They tried to ambush you. They tried to kill you. They tried to arrest you. They succeeded just at the third. They arrested you. They sent you to a king named Felix. Felix was the ruler, not actually a king, more of a governor. Think of him that way. Kind of like Pontius Pilate, who we might be familiar with. And Felix... Sat down with Paul and said, Hey, what'd you do wrong? And Paul's like, I preached the gospel. And Felix is like, This guy didn't do anything wrong. I should let him go. And Paul says, No, I want to go to Caesar. So Felix says, Well, I'm going to keep you here and try and bribe you to leave me because I'm sick of you and you're annoying. Paul stays for two years. Remember, it's a beautiful beach. But you are in jail. When we arrive in this moment, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, this is verse 27 of 24. But because Felix wanted to grant favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Now Agrippa, the the grandson-ish, peculiar family line of Herod the Great, is in the area and he says, hey, this guy Paul who you've got in prison, the Jews keep talking about him, they want to kill him, I want to hear him too. Agrippa says to Festus, I'd like to hear this man him myself. And he replied, tomorrow you will hear him. Are you visualizing this? So Paul's, yeah, you are, good. So Paul's actually under house arrest, which means he can kind of roam around. He's got a little bit of freedom. And here marches in the next day, Agrippa and Bernus came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. Right? At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Thrown into the middle. I like to imagine that these rooms have open windows. You can hear the waves, smell the salt water. Yeah. Festus said... King Agrippa, and all who are present with us, you see this man. Sorry, cameras. Paul's down on his knees, almost certainly. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, you royal people here in the room, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write, especially to you, King Agrippa. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. So here's Paul. Imprisoned, poor for a long time, with the greatest men of the eastern regions of Rome, all surrounding him. Military officials, robes, purple crowns, waves, majestic marbles, mosaics, everything you can imagine. And Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself in order to defend himself from being killed. You in the room with him? So Paul motioned with his hand, listen in, he said, and he began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. King Agrippa, for reference, is the king of the Jews, the same way Herod was during Jesus' time. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect, Of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible? That God raises the dead. You see what he's doing? He's very clever. He's appealing to Herod's Jewishness. He's appealing to his own Jewishness. And he's saying, Why should it be any surprise that God raises the dead? In fact, he's done it throughout our scriptures. Look at Elijah's bones when, or when the man was tossed on Elijah's bone. Boop, popped up. Other sorties, and of course, God can do this. I too, Paul! was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Anyone remember a name of one of those individuals he's referring to? Stephen. Paul was there, not only watching, holding the coats... Give him the thumbs up. Paul's making a defense in a courtroom that he should not be put to death. And what's one of the first things he does? He admits he's a murderer. Good idea or bad idea? (laughs) I don't know, you know. I wouldn't do it. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of those journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Who's accusing Paul? The chief priests. Whose authority was Paul murdering others under? Chief priests. He's clever. You see how he's working this? About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven. And if you look straight up at these, you'll have a similar experience. Brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. And we all fell to the ground and i heard a voice saying to me in aramaic "Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me it is hard for you to kick against the goads and then i asked who are you lord i am jesus whom you are persecuting the lord replied now get up and stand on your feet i have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me." So then, King Agrippa, I like to imagine they were kind of lost imagining with Paul, right? I said, hey, come with me to Caesarea. Paul's like, hey, come with me to Damascus, you know. So then, King Agrippa, back to the real world. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea. Does that remind you of anything? Acts 1. Eight, maybe? And to the Gentiles also, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Maybe so for us. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. Who's small in that room? Nobody. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And at this point, Festus, like Jack Nicholson, interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. And Paul said, You can't handle the truth. That's right. And Paul said, I am not insane. (laughs) Most excellent Festus. Which is such a bad name. Can we just pause and acknowledge? (laughs) Paul replied, What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. Remember, it was Herod Agrippa's dad, killed Jesus or who was there when Pontius Pilate did it. He knows. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. How good of a gospel is that, right? Public news. King Agrippa, looking at King Agrippa, who professes to be a Jew as king of the Jews, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. (laughs) And then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul responded, Short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except for these chains. And the king rose, and with him the governor, and Bernus, and those sitting with them, left the room. And while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The word of the Lord. We say, Thanks be to God. We don't usually do that here. What a story. Paul had his life on the line. His life on the line. And in that moment, what was he accused of doing? Sharing the good news. And something stands out to me in this moment. Remember, gospel euangelion if we go back to this word is a political announcement it's an announcement of who the true king is and what that means for the kingdom and when paul shares this gospel notice what happens he's in the middle of sharing it and what does festus do he puffs out his chest (laughs) he gets a little nervous and i find it fascinating When Jesus is talking to Paul, he says to him, now get up and stand on your feet. Okay? What did Jesus do to Paul? He restored him. Jesus, the rightful king, lifted Paul up from the ground. Now at the end of this, Paul replies, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. And what did the king do? He rose to his feet. We've got a slide up here. It asks a question. Where did Paul stand? You can find it. You might have it in your bulletins. Who was in the room with Paul? Kings, governors, generals, All the, some of the priests. The priests probably weren't allowed in. Maybe one or two. What was Paul? A prisoner. Who stood the tallest? Paul. Who was scared of who? What did Paul do? Shake his fists at them? He told the truth. Point fingers? He told the truth. He shared the gospel. Here's the thing about our gospel. It's true. It was not done in a corner. And if you're an evangelist, all you need to do is talk about it. And those who have ears to hear will be compelled. I want to take you to another place. We're going to come back to Caesarea. But now I want to go to Iran. Iran. <clears throat> 2007, Masood, say Masood. Masood was a gentleman whose brother was on death row for being a murderer. Not because he evangelized. He was a murderer. He was a cruel man. He was a wicked man. His name was Raza, or Reza. sorry. And Masood wanted to go visit his brother before he was put to death. And he goes in expecting to find somebody who's angry, who's violent like they've always been, who's tormented, who's terrified and scared like a kid would be if they're being put to death. And he comes in, I'm reading from Voice of the Martyrs magazine. But to Masood's surprise, picture it, probably hot, probably metal, probably between gates. Reza did not need to be comforted. I thought that I would find him worried and upset, but he was very peaceful, and he greeted me with a smile and a face full of hope. Masood said, I was wanting to comfort him, but in that short time before his death, he said to me, Do you know the reason for my peace and my strength of heart? Two days ago, I received a new life, and I am no longer afraid of death. Reza told his brother, moments in terms of a lifetime from death. I know that the Lord Jesus Christ has accepted me and that I am going to be with him, so don't worry about me. Reza then urged Masood to put his faith in Jesus. Iran, 2007, evangelism in the eyes of the government, thumbs up, thumbs down. Thumbs down. Who stands next to you when you are communicating with people in prison? Guards, others. Here comes Reza. His life is gone, and yet he's found a new one. And he tells his brother, put your faith in Jesus. Seek forgiveness of his sins so that you too can find salvation through Christ. Get me bail, quick. Can you find a better lawyer? Put your faith in Jesus. And after Reza's execution, Masood followed his brother's example and he placed his faith in Christ. Masoud went on to try and find the pastor who had helped his brother while he was in prison because Reza became a Christian because there had been a pastor who was imprisoned for evangelizing. He could not find him until many, many years later when he found a man who had known him. And this guy, the pastor, his name was Amir, had told the story of Reza because it was such a remarkable one. According to the pastor, Amir, who was the man in the prison who helped him, shared the gospel with him, considered Reza one of the most restless inmates in the prison. He was uncontrollable and he had a bad temper. Nobody liked him, just to reiterate. But when Reza heard the gospel from Amir, he sensed a spirit of love and peace that convicted him. My friend, what are you doing here? Reza, the murderer, asked Amir, the Christian. How come a good person like you ended up here? I've committed murder and should be here. But what have you done? And Amir replied, "Ah, I didn't really do anything. It's unfair, this justice system. Not what he said. Amir said, I am in here just for you. So that today you can hear the gospel and be saved and set free. What perspective? And overwhelmed with emotion, just 13 years ago, just across a pond in Iran, overwhelmed with emotion, Reza grabbed Amir and he said, Do you think God puts such value on a bad, wicked person like me that he would send someone like you as his representative to me? Do you think God puts such value on a bad, wicked person like me that he would send his angel, his messenger of the good news, just to share with me that I still have hope even days away from death? And the answer is yes. What if Amir was more concerned with justifying the evangelicals than he was with sharing the good news? Right? What if Paul was more concerned with just getting out of prison, get somewhere safe, than with sharing the good news? I want each of you not to be so concerned with whether or not you can place the evangelical title above your head. And I want you to be more concerned with what is it for me to be a carrier of the message of hope, the light into the darkness, and to go and do it. I've got a few tips, if if we can, Kate. Um, For those who want to be an evangelist, here's a few things that will go a long way for you. And then I'm going to negate them after I tell them all to you. The first one is this, rational thought, right? Paul's accused of being insane. He says, I'm not insane. I'm speaking something to you true. I'm being reasonable. When you evangelize, speak the truth. I've known too many friends who want to create converts, who want to give off the impression of having some wonderful, profound faith that they'll fabricate stories or they'll hyperbolize stories. Don't do it. Be rational. Be reasonable. Be thoughtful. The truth is the truth. Amen? Number two. Carry the power of the Spirit with you. I did not come with eloquent words, Paul says, right? But in humility with the power of the Spirit. Do likewise. Don't go in your own strength. Be prayerful. Be patient. Be thoughtful. Pray for the sick in faith. Just like Jesus tells the 72 when he sends them out. Number three. Conviction, have it. Don't speak as one who's timid and uncertain about what you're saying. Be certain as much as you can. I've known too many people who try and evangelize, and they call it apologetics, and that's as far as they get. Have the power of the Spirit. I know too many people who want to evangelize because that's what the cool kids are doing. But there's no conviction there. What good is that? Number four, have some character. My goodness, isn't it a shame? The Catholic Church, right? Do I have to say more? And now, evangelical name after name after name after name, just in the last couple weeks, Can do your own research. You must have character. But none of those four things, except maybe number two, have any comparison to this. More than any of that, evangelism boils down to this one thing, I believe. You can correct me afterwards. How we understand this one word. Say it with me, "Evangelion." Evangelion. It couldn't be more simple. I had one of my favorite professors in college, his name was Bob Smith. You can find him in, a, in a yellow pages or white pages. Uh, <laughs> He was old, he had beautiful silver hair, wise, learned, he approached life in a really, really wonderful way. He always parked as far away from where he was going as he could so he could walk and have extra time to pray. And he, in the end of his tenure, said uh, over and over and over again, I heard it from his mouth a lot, there's one thing that I want to do. I want to understand what is the gospel. And I misled you at the beginning of this sermon, right? I pointed out that evangelical is best understood as an adjective and not a noun. It's one that describes us, right? Um, not something that we necessarily are, but euangelion, that word up there, it is a noun. And it's more than a noun. It's an event. And it's more than just an event. It's a real time, happened before, happening again, will be happening event that continues as long as Jesus is alive. You hearing what I'm saying? Because the gospel is the news that Jesus himself is alive. That he is currently, right now, the king. And that in his kingdom, there is freedom. In his kingdom, there is healing. In his kingdom, there is salvation and joy and newness of life. In his kingdom, love overcomes evil. And those who are last will be made first. And those who are first will be made last. And justice will be fulfilled and all things will be restored. And we have nothing, nothing to fear. It's a noun. It means all that. Amen? In you, the most important thing more than those other techniques and strategies about evangelizing and how to do it well, the most important thing is that you understand this news, what it is and what it means to you. Because if you hear it, and if you hear it truly, if you let it sink to your heart, the fact that while you were enemies with God, while you were a murderer in prison, God sent an angel to you to save you, to share this good news, that you can react to that, respond to that with a yes, with an affirmative, be given new life. You experiencing the salvation of Christ... For yourself receiving it and recognizing that it is good news that when you're in prison when you have chains around your arms and your feet that it's still good news in fact the best news then you can be an evangelist but as long as you think it's more important for me to escape it's more important for me to justify my titles It's more important, it's more important, it's more important. I'm concerned we have a problem. My friend, we're back in Iran. Put yourself there. I don't want to invite the band up as well. What are you doing here? Reza asked Amir, how come a good person like you ended up here? I've committed murder and should be here, but what have you done? I am in here just for you, Amir replied, so that you today can hear the gospel and be saved and set free. Overwhelmed with emotion, Reza grabbed Amir and said, do you think God puts such value on a bad, wicked person like me, that he would send someone like you as his representative to me? We're going to spend the next 10 minutes and we're going to remember your story of hearing and receiving the good news that Jesus Christ is for you. your experience of the good news is the gateway for another's experience of the good news as they see your transformed life. First Corinthians says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, this is Paul, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross, be, cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. To you who are saved, Remember the good news of Christ and let it be the power of God through you. To you who are not saved, hear these words of Jesus again, who said to Paul, get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and of what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles, And I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from the darkness to the light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and find a place among those who are sanctified in faith by me. If you've not received the gospel, if you've not said yes to this call, the last will be first, the first will be last. Lord, have my life. I encourage you, hear it, say yes to it. If you have received it, Become a messenger of this good news who embodies the goodness in its full, not as a title, but as an adjective that describes what you do on your day-to-day, the posture of your heart, and go share the good news. Be evangelical. And the gospel itself will do the hard work. Not a word from the mouth of the Lord returns empty-handed. dusty feet. Go. God's calling you to be an evangelist. Ten minutes. A little less than that now. Remember how much of a sinner you were. Remember the cost of your sin. And with eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, remember how good this good news is, so that when you see any lost person Your instinct will not be, oh, what threat am I under that I can avoid? But your instinct will be, "Ah, how good this breath in my lungs is to share with one in need. Can we do that? In a few minutes, we'll release you to go.